Mark 15, verse 33. And let us all hear the word of God. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. Elijah, it's talking about Elijah, folks, just in case you don't know who that name Elias is referring to. It's, it's the New Testament version of Elias. Well, there was no chance that Elijah was going to come to the cross and take Christ down. He couldn't do it for a start. Physically, he wouldn't have been able to do it. But even if he had been able to do it, he wouldn't have wanted to do it because the very reason that Elijah was in heaven was because of what Christ was doing on the cross. Elijah was already in heaven at this stage when our Savior was hanging on Calvary's tree. So Elijah was not, he was certainly was not going to take Christ down from the cross. Otherwise, he would have been thrown out of heaven. You see, the only reason anybody in history ever enters into heaven is because of the cross. All the saints in the Old Testament, all the Christians from Genesis to Malachi, they were all saved by looking forward to the work of the cross. It was in the future, but they were depending on what would happen at Calvary. We're the opposite. We look back to the cross. It has already taken place. We look back into the past 2,000 years ago, and we depend on what our blessed Redeemer accomplished for us there. So just to interject that, there was no way that Elijah was going to, to even attempt to take Christ down from the cross. Verse 37, And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago we looked at the first of the Calvary miracles and we thought about how the Lord Jesus reached up and touched the sun and the darkness came down at noon at noon at midday and it wasn't a sandstorm it wasn't an eclipse it couldn't be explained away naturally by scientists it was supernatural and it was the work of the savior as he bled and died for our sins, for the wicked thoughts, wicked words, and wicked deeds that we have been guilty of and are guilty of, as he bled and died for each and every one of them, 
As it were, he reached up and he touched the sun and put it out, just like a child blowing out a birthday candle. You see, he's the creator, and he can do things like that. He's a specialist when it comes to miracles. And if you need a miracle in your life or in the life of your family tonight, a loved one, you go to him. He's the one that you need. Tonight we want to come to the second of the Calvary miracles. And we want to think about how the Lord Jesus reached over and touched the temple. The last time he reached up and touched the sun, tonight he reaches over and he touches the temple. Now I want you to imagine that you're a priest in the temple at that very moment. Now I want you to use your imagination, folks. For we men are too tonight. You know how children love to use their imagination and daydream. Well, I'm, I, I, I give you permission to do that. You can daydream for a wee minute or two. As you put yourself in the shoes of one of the Jewish priests in Herod's temple that first Good Friday as Jesus hangs on the cross. Just imagine what it must have been like. There's the priest. He's in the holy place. In that little room where there's, there's no lights like we have in our sanctuary tonight. There's no windows to let the natural daylight in through. It's the only light that's in that little room in Herod's temple is the light that comes from the candelabra, from the candlestick. And it's the duty of the priest to trim the lamp and to make sure that it never goes out. And so there he is and he's pottering about we would say and he's he's making sure that there's enough oil in the golden candlestick enough oil to feed the flame to feed the wick so that there's always light in the holy place and then he whenever he has seen to the the lamps then he, he moves on to the table And the responsibility of the priest was to change the bread every day. He had to take away the bread that was maybe starting to get a wee bit moldy. It had been brought the day before and it was becoming hard. And so he had to bring in the fresh bread and place it on the table of showbread. And so he looks after the lamp and he looks after the table And then he moves to the golden altar, which is right beside the veil in the temple. And he he does what he has to do at the golden altar, which is is, uh, he had to sprinkle the incense on the burning coals. And when he sprinkles the incense on on the coals, then a cloud, a fragrant cloud billows up that covers him. But all of this has happened every day for 1,500 years. So this day seems to be no different. But then the priest looks up. His jaw drops. His hair rises. His eyes stare in amazement. Horror seizes him. 
because he can see beyond the veil right into the Holy of Holies. Can you imagine the priest and his reaction? Perhaps he rushes outside, out into the outer court to the other priests who are at the brazen altar sacrificing the lambs. Remember, it's 3 p.m., it's the ninth hour, and it's the time of the evening sacrifice. And he rushes out, and and his face is, is white, and his eyes are, as we would say, they're standing out in his head. He's amazed. He's overcome with astonishment. You can imagine that he's almost taking and almost having a panic attack at what he's just witnessed. And he he goes to the other priests and he informs them of what has happened. And perhaps some of those other priests go to Caiaphas. Perhaps they run to Caiaphas, the high priest, to tell him what has happened. The veil has been torn too. That great curtain, and I tell you folks, it was some curtain. Let me describe the dimensions to you and you'll, you'll understand the immensity of this miracle. It was four inches thick, the veil of the temple. That's the length of my hand from one side to the other. Four inches, that's how thick it was. Some curtain. Forty feet wide. From one side of the temple, one side of Herod's temple to the other side. Sixty feet high. You know the Bible tells us that it was torn from the top to the bottom. So it was an act of God. You know how insurance companies talk about an act of God. Well this was an act of God. No man had torn the veil. No man could tear the veil. This was the work of God. This was, in fact, the work of God the Son who reached over and touched the temple and tore the veil. Suddenly, stunningly, the veil was torn And the way into the Holy of Holies gaped open wide. The veil hung there, a torn and tattered rag. So what's it all about? Let's try to understand it this Sunday evening. Let's try to understand what's it all about. What's this miracle all about? This, this second miracle at Calvary. This reaching over by the Son of God and touching the temple and tearing the veil in the midst from the top to the bottom. What's it all about? How do we explain it? Well, you have to go to the book of Hebrews. To understand what was happening here, folks. And I'm going to ask you to go there just now. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. And let's try to get a handle 
on the miracle of the rending of the veil. Hebrews 10. The great book of Hebrews, and we, we spent some Sunday evenings in it a wee while ago. And this great book tells us, of course, that Jesus is greater than the prophets, and he's greater than Moses, and he's greater than Joshua, and he's greater than Abraham, and greater than Melchizedek, and he's greater than them all. But then the writer, in chapter 10 and verse 19, this is what he says about the veil of the temple. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And we'll stop there. And you'll see why we stop there. We stop there because it refers to the veil there in verse 20. Through the veil. Paul is talking about the veil that was torn in the temple when the Lord Jesus was dying at Calvary. Let me say this tonight before I go any further. And this is something that I want you really to grasp tonight. The veil in the temple reminds us of Christ. It's a picture of the Lord Jesus. It's an object lesson of the Savior. We need to think about the color of the veil that Paul speaks about and that Mark recorded in his gospel. The veil, the color of the veil. How do we know what color the veil was? Well, whenever you go back to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, you don't have to look it up. But in Exodus chapter 36, verse 35, this is what we read. And he, that's Moses, made a veil. Now here's the colors. Note them. Blue and purple and scarlet. Blue, purple, and scarlet. So that's the veil in the tabernacle. You remember before Solomon's temple was erected, the people of Israel, they worshipped at the tabernacle. But the veil was there. And Moses, with the help of two men called Aholiab and Bezalel, they made the veil. And they made it out of these colors. It was blue and it was purple and it was scarlet. And let me say that these colors remind us of the Lord Jesus. You see, blue speaks of heaven. Blue sky. It's nice when you get a blue sky. We don't maybe have it too often. We have clouds more than we have blue sky. But the blue speaks of heaven, up there where the Lord dwells. The red speaks of the earth. The name Adam literally means red. Man comes from the earth. Man was taken from the dust of the earth. He was created from the dust of the earth. And the Lord gave him the name, the first man, the name Adam, or red. 
It speaks of the earth down here. Terra firma, we would say. And lo and behold, whenever you mix blue and red, what do you get? You get purple. And the purple speaks of the incarnate Christ. The Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one coming into this world. The one who was blue. Oh yes, he was from heaven. He left the ivory palaces to come down to this world, to come down to this earth. The red speaks of his humanity. And when Christ came into this world, heaven and earth united in perfect harmony. The two blended together perfectly. And the Savior lived and walked among us. On the one hand, the people could see his deity. He was God manifest in the flesh. On the other hand, they could see his humanity. He was a real person. Let me try to give you a couple of examples. You remember that the Savior met the woman at the well. And you remember that he was thirsty. Because he sat on the well and he said to the lady, give me to drink. Well, the very fact that he was thirsty proved his humanity. I mean, we all get thirsty at some stage or other. And Jesus was thirsty. There was the red. You remember the red in the veil? The earth, his humanity. But then, lo and behold, when he starts to talk to the woman at the well, the bad Samaritan, they call her. You know all about the good Samaritan. Well, she wasn't a very good Samaritan. She was a bad Samaritan. And the reason, of course, why she went to the well at 12 noon was to avoid everybody else. Because nobody in their right mind went to the well to get water at midday. It was the hottest time in the day. Everybody else stayed away, but this poor sinner came to the well. She was so ashamed. Are you ashamed tonight? Tell you, I'm ashamed of the things I've done, but I'm glad they're under the blood. Hallelujah. And it wasn't too long until this lady's sins would be under the blood as well. But what about his divinity, his deity? What did he do? He turned round and he started to talk to her about all that she had been involved in. He told her her life. He did a recap of her life. How did he know what kind of a life she had lived? How could he possibly know anything about her? This stranger from Galilee, they had never met. There's only one explanation. He was God. And you remember what the, the woman said when she went to the other folks in the, in the city? Come see a man who told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Aye, the woman at the well. But then you've got the incident on Galilee. 
when Jesus was on Simon Peter's boat, and you remember he fell asleep, his humanity. We all need sleep, probably more than we really appreciate and recognize. You young people, remember the phrase, the saying, the old saying, there's a lot of truth in it. Early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. We need sleep. We're not made of steel, we're just made of dust and ashes. And when you you don't get the sleep that your body needs, then your body will soon tell you. So young people, throw the phones aside and um, you get to your bed. Uh, The Lord Jesus fell asleep on the boat. And the storm comes down. And the disciples, they're running about like crazed lunatics. They're scared out of their wits, but... How come this man from Galilee, from Nazareth, how come he's fast asleep in the midst of the storm? But then he he wakes. Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he stands up. And just like that, he speaks to the wind and the waves. Be still. And they obey him. His divinity. Ah, he's God. The fact that he fell asleep, that was the red in the veil. The fact that he spoke to the wind and the waves and they obeyed him, that was the blue. Aye, he's, he's perfect purple, isn't he? This Jesus Christ, this lovely Savior who died on Calvary. But then for a wee moment I want to leave a thought with you tonight and it's this the veil in the temple is not only significant because of its color but the veil in the temple is significant because it was a barrier yes there it was it had hung for 1500 years a barrier to the people I'm going to say something that might sound strange but I'll explain what I mean Jesus is a barrier to people. Now here's the explanation. God the Father says, if you want to come into my presence, if you want to spend eternity with me in heaven, you need to live a perfect life. You need to be spotless and you need to be pure and you need to be perfectly holy. And we throw up our hands and we say, Lord, I can't do that. I can't produce that kind of life because I'm a sinner. And then we think of Christ and the life that he lived and the life that was so pure and so perfect and so spotless and we run up against his life as it were like a barrier. We can't live like him. Sure, Job said that, that, that sinners drink in iniquity like water. That's the way Job put it. And rather than living a holy life, fallen man lives the opposite. He goes into all the debauchery of the day. And any one of us could end up in the debauchery. So let him that thinketh he standeth 
Take heed lest he fall. If you think that you're immune from falling into the grossest of sins, I tell you, the devil's rubbing his hands and Lee, he's ready for you. He's got the trap all set. Oh, he has the bait ready for you and for me. How much we depend on the grace and mercy of God to keep us from falling into the worst of sins. Because the seeds are in here. Hi, they're in here. But they weren't in Christ. Oh, he was stainless steel. He was different. But what about the barrier? His life is like a barrier. We just can't live like him. I hear clergymen talking about Jesus being an example and a role model. What use is that to me? I can't copy him. I don't need a role model or someone to imitate. I need a saviour. I need a redeemer. I need someone to lift me out of the filth that I've got myself involved in. I need someone who can wash me and make me whiter than the snow. So away with your examples and your role models. But here's the good news tonight. The barrier was torn. The veil was torn. Now I said that the veil reminds us of the Lord Jesus. It's a picture of him. We read in John chapter 19 and verse 34, one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. The veil was rent, torn. His flesh was torn. His body was torn for us. At exactly the same time, that the soldier pierced the body of Christ with the spear. Christ reached over, as it were, to the temple and he touched the veil and he tore it in two. He removed the barrier. And it was just as if the Lord Jesus hung a big welcome sign there in the Holy of Holies. Come sinners to Jesus, no longer delay. Ah, he removed the barrier. He tore it away. And you know, the Lord Jesus did something there at Calvary. And he's still doing it tonight. Something that no high priest in Israel ever had done before him. He took others into the Holy of Holies. It had never happened before. The high priest was the only one who was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. Nobody else was permitted to do it. But Jesus, our great high priest, as it were at Calvary, he took us poor sinners And he tore the barrier away 
And he took us by the hand and brought us into the holy presence of God where we might be forgiven and cleansed and made new creatures in Christ. And this week on Thursday at half past seven, we'll be inside the veil. We'll be in the presence of a holy God all because of that miracle at Calvary. And someday we'll be in heaven with the Lord forever. No more Sunday morning services now. No more Sunday evening services. We'll never meet here in this comfortable building ever again. No, we'll meet in a building that's far more splendid than this. And it's all because of what happened that day at Calvary when the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Oh, behold the man of sorrows. Oh, behold him in plain view. Lo, he is the mighty conqueror since he rent the veil in two. Let's pray. Lord, we have been standing on holy ground tonight. We have been peering into the mysteries of Golgotha. And we thank you for what you've been teaching us tonight. And how we thank you for our blessed Savior who not only reached up and touched the sun, but as we have been thinking about tonight, he reached over and he touched the temple. Move in our hearts, Lord, in these days as believers. Stir us up, Lord, to follow more closely after the Savior. And we pray for any in the service tonight or listening to a CD in days to come or listening to the online message who do not know Jesus. They don't know the one who hung upon the cross. Lord, have mercy upon them. Open their blinded eyes and cause them to see the loveliness of the Savior. Now bless us, Lord, as we would lift up our voices once more in praise to thee. And then take us safely to our homes tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.